Welcome to Nighttime. I'm Dave Wager, your host here in the studios at Silver Birch Ranch on the campus of the Nicolay Bible Institute. For the next half hour, we hope to just calmly talk about what God's Word says. Tonight I want to talk about the book of Philippians. Just look at it and read and see how far we get. Read God's Word, comment on our thoughts, and go to sleep. Sounds like a good plan. Or if you're listening to this in the morning, maybe stay awake and think about it all day long. Regardless, the most important thing that you need to do is think about what God's Word says and how to apply it to your life. Because in the end, that's the only thing that's really going to matter is that you listened to God. Satan works overtime to try and get us to not listen to God. Gets us busy with the stuff of life so that we don't have the time to think. We don't have the time to reflect. We don't have the time to read and know God. There's nothing more important in this life than knowing God. And the second most important thing is listening to Him. But there can be an argument made that you say you know God, but you don't listen to Him. It actually means you don't know Him. Because if you really knew God, you would listen to Him. If you really knew God, you would love Him. You would be in absolute awe and wonder of Him. So if that's not where you're at today, then it's because you don't spend the time to get to know Him. You know, you might know about Him from Sunday school or some other place, but if you really knew Him, you'd be amazed. And amazed quite a bit. It's like somebody who comes to me that isn't really overwhelmed with God's mercy. The problem isn't that they don't know mercy. They understand that mercy is not getting what you deserve. The problem is them understanding how desperately they need mercy. They think their life's pretty good. Until they can see the fact that they're extremely sinful, mercy isn't that valuable to them. And there are people who grew up nice people compared to the rest of the world. They really don't understand the importance of mercy. They don't understand how devastating sin really is, because it is. Their sin may not be murder or abuse or anything along that line. It may be pride and arrogance. It may be the sin of excluding God and living for comfort, having that as your God, little g. We need to be people who know God and really appreciate the fact that he loves us and it shows in our life by how we live. If it's not showing, if we keep trying to go against what he says, it's not that we have to have more discipline. We really need to spend more time with him and know him. And then we'll realize that he is in our corner and he's the one that can make us successful or not successful because of the way that he operates. I mean, he made me in my mother's womb. He knows exactly my gifts and talents and abilities. And he doesn't need my gifts, talents, or abilities. So any time that he uses them, it's a privilege. So I need to understand that and continue to move forward in that realm. It really isn't about using your skills and talents and abilities to further your own life. 
to further your own comfort, to further your own desires. It's about using all those things to further people's understanding of God. And if I understand God, if I know him, then I will naturally want to make him known. So if I don't want to make him known, I wonder again if I know him. The book of Philippians starts with the first verse in the first chapter, obviously, and it says this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Jesus Christ who are at Philippi, with the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. The first two verses there tell a lot about Paul and Timothy's mind frame. They're servants of Jesus Christ. I would challenge you to go through the Bible and look at how many times that those who actually know God call themselves servants. Servant is a great term to describe who we should be. We're not in charge. We're not the boss of ourselves. We're, we're not in charge. God's in charge. So we live our lives looking for the master, God, to give us an order that we can fulfill, knowing that everything that we have is from him knowing that we'll be successful if we listen to him, if we do everything he asks, if we work hard. Now, what's interesting about that is I don't have any other concerns then. My life is totally taken care of by my master, my food, my shelter, my family is cared for. Everything in my life is cared for by my master if I just pay attention to what I'm supposed to do. It's a great illustration of life and how God has set it up. Not only that, I never really own anything because my master owns everything. So everything I touch that he puts me in charge of, I understand I'm a steward of it. I, I, I'm not somebody who owns it. So if I have a lot of resources, I realize that all those resources don't belong to me. It's not just 10% of them. It's all of them don't belong to me. So I need to use them in a way that would honor or show the world who God is. Paul and Timothy understood that they were servants of Jesus Christ. They're writing to the other servants. They call them saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi and the overseers and the deacons. And they immediately start to say grace and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul was amazed at God's grace and the peace that passes understanding. And he can talk about that because of the stuff that he went through in life. And he went through it with great peace, even though it was very turbulent. Wouldn't you like to know that you could go through anything in life, no matter what it is, and you can still be at peace? Only God can allow you to do that, only walking with him, knowing him, knowing that he knows the future, knowing that he loves you, knowing that he is the one in charge of what happens, knowing that you're never out of touch with him. That puts a different smile on your face than those who are worried about what's coming in the future. The future is something you and I cannot know. I can know some things about the future. I can know that there will be a future. There'll be a time where I'm in eternity and I am in a timeless state and I have no idea what that looks like. But this earth, with or without me, will most likely have sunsets and sunrises. There'll be trees and flowers and cars and communication and all kinds of stuff that goes on. See, I, I know that life 
is not dependent upon me. I know life is dependent upon God, and I know that all that I have is given to me by God. So I need to live in that context. Grace is living in a way that demonstrates that I have far more than I ever deserved. Mercy, contrasting that, means that I don't get what I deserve. But grace has given me far more than I ever deserved. And I need to continually remind myself that as a child of God, I have far more than I ever deserve. Now, how could I ever complain if I'm focusing on the fact that I have far more than I ever deserve? How can I complain about anything? It's easy for me sometimes to get locked into the American way of life. Perhaps I'm not as comfortable as somebody that lives by me, or perhaps I don't have as much recreational equipment, or my house isn't as big as theirs, or as fancy, or my gardening techniques aren't as nice. Those all could be. But that's not what life's about. Life's about enjoying God and enjoying the relationships that he's given to us. It's about living in the context of being a child of the king, even though I don't deserve to be a child of the king. It's about having all the assets of the universe available to me. Think about that. I don't deserve that in any way, shape, or form. But right now, as I talk to you, as a child of God, my Heavenly Father has all the assets of the universe. And at the word of his mouth, he could unleash them on my behalf. That's grace. Now, he doesn't because that's not the plan, and he doesn't because that's not good for me or whatever else it might be. See, knowing God means that no matter what's happening to me in life, no matter what's going on, I can be at peace. And that's what he says in the second verse, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Not peace that comes from not being sick, not peace that comes from no war, not peace that comes from having people like you, but peace that can only come from the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In the third verse, it says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always, in every prayer of mine for you, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Oh, it's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you with all the affection of Jesus Christ. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so you may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. That was verses 3 through 11 in the first chapter. As I read that, I think I thank God in all my remembrance of you. I think I need to do better on that as I've worked with thousands and thousands of young people through the years. I tend to forget them. I tend to forget names. I tend to forget 
There's, there's so many that I use that perhaps as an excuse. But there are many that I think about, my, my own children, and many that I've been able to mentor or spend a little extra time with. It's amazing how those who walk with God, those who do what's right, that you've had a chance to impart into their lives, how important it is for your own personal encouragement to see that. How devastating it is to see them reject Jesus. I think in every family, the first and foremost concern that you would have is your own children walking with God. How devastating it is when they don't. There is only one important thing in life, and that's to know God and then to demonstrate that to the people around us. When they refuse that, they refuse the most basic understanding of life. Then there's those distant relatives, perhaps, or those that you have mentored or spent time with. I thank God in all my remembrance of those young people who have embraced a relationship with God and walk with them. I think that I need to get more involved, like the Apostle Paul, where always in every prayer of mine for all, making my prayer with joy. I think my prayer life could use a real boost in some of that areas. I don't know about yours. But this is probably a huge difference between the Apostle Paul and myself. And a challenge for me. Because I think there's always more diligence that could be put in. Verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, I have worked with people throughout 50-plus years here at Silver Birch Ranch. And Silver Birch Ranch has lost money for 50-some years. But we're here. Bills are paid. We're out of debt because people have showed up and said, I want to help. There have been so many partners who have seen what we were doing. We really don't have a fundraising department. We don't have a way to go out there and, and find the mega donors or whatever it might be. But we do know God, and we know that he loves people. And he knows that he loves the children who come to these grounds. And for over 50 years, he's provided for those children. People have shown up. They have given. People, when they have died, have left Silver Birch Ranch in their will. and They wanted to participate in what God was doing on these grounds. Not because they were guilted into it, not because of a tax break even but because they love God and they love what he's doing here. There are so many people who have partnered. Even as I speak now, I, I think of an anonymous donor. Yes, anonymous. I, I don't know who they are who, who encouraged us once with a large gift to build a new chapel. Eventually, they sent a half a million dollars and when we weren't even planning to build the chapel at that point. What a surprise it was, but I thank God for that person's partnership and the timing of that gift. There have been so many gifts from people in the 10 to 20 to $100 range a month just to make sure that we could pay our electric bill. Partners in ministry. Maybe none of us alone could accomplish what has happened on the grounds of Silver Birch Ranch. But the many partners that God has tapped into has caused a great work to be done. 
What a privilege it is to be a part of something that God does. What a privilege to be in a seat that gets to see it. I understand the Apostle Paul saying, because of your partnership in the gospel, from the first day until now that he prays with joy, there are many that I pray with joy for. And there's more that I should. The Apostle Paul was uniquely plugged into the complete spiritual battle that was taking place, realizing that God would convict people in a way that would allow them to participate. And that was even God's grace being demonstrated to those people. So as he prayed, he, he prayed with joy. You know, there are so many things that I look forward to God doing. And there's so many partners that could still join. I don't, I could even pray for those partners that I don't even know. I mean, there's so many things happening right now that God needs to provide for. That I'm excited for the next few years, not only for his provision, but so that we can clearly show the next generation how God works, how he provides for his work. Because of your partnership, he was praying for them with joy. In verse 6, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work and you will bring it to completion. It's one of those verses we count on as we work with young people, that God is at work in each person's life. I may fail. It may look like I fail. It may look like my words cannot mount up and do anything positive. But God assures me that the people that have come into his family are his. And he will work with them. And he will not fail working with them. And I too need to have the faith that the Apostle Paul had that he will work in these lives in a way that will convict them and draw them to himself. The Apostle Paul is sure of that. Verse 7, it's right for me to feel this way, he says. Some might be thinking, well, you know, I, I don't know, man. You're, how do you know all this? He says, well, it's right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me in grace both in my imprisonment and my defense and confirmation of the gospel. He understands that he's a guy that has been tossed around a little bit by the powers and authorities of this world that ignore God. But there are people who love God that he could count on. There are those people that stayed by his side regardless of the outcome. It's what I understand, too, as I look at the ministry of Silver Birch for all those years. There are people that during the good years were by our side. And there are people during the very difficult years that continued to be by our side. They understood that the warfare was serious, and they understood that the goal was to reach young people and families, causing them to know Christ and make them known. They understood that the only way that we could go forward was by the very provision of the hand of God. And they counted it a privilege to be a part of that work. There are some of those who are in heaven today who were tremendously used of God in this work. 
I hope even as I utter these words that God reminds them of how thankful we are for them. That they lived in a way that demonstrated who God was. That they lived in a way that demonstrated that they trust God. I don't know how many young people will have been affected by the gifts that they gave. But it's really not their gifts that would affect anybody. It's God. Their gifts, if they were given, were given to God. They got the privilege of participating in what God was doing. It's not their gifts that made any difference in life. It's God who makes the difference. Well, he says in verse 7, It's right for me to feel this way about you and all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and my defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. This, this pure desire to be with these people so that he can positively affect their lives. Do you ever have that? Do you ever have where you just wish you could be with somebody so you could help them? You just wish you could be with them so you could help them see life the way it's meant to be, so you could live in front of them and show them what it's like to walk with God and enjoy him. A yearning to help. The Apostle Paul yearned to be a part of what God was doing. He understood that it wasn't up to him, and he understood that the, the decisions and the eventual results were really up to God. But he yearned to be with the people and be a part of it. And then he gives them his prayer, and this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. There's a comma there, with knowledge and all discernment. It's one thing to love people. It's another thing to love them without knowledge and all discernment. Love is, isn't a feeling. It's a choice. It's what God did to us with Jesus Christ. It's looking at somebody like myself who's sinful and saying he can never, ever be okay without my help. And God would be fine with or without me. But on my behalf, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, onto this earth to die so that I could have eternal life. See, God acted on what's best for me, not on what was best for him. God acted in a way that would allow me to be a part of his family. Not because of something I did or not because of something I said, but because of who he is. God acted because of love. He doesn't uh, live in a way that's tolerant. See, love is not tolerance. He lives in a way that's patient. That's hugely different. Tolerance is where you get to the point where you accept wrong where you say that wrong is okay because you're trying to be, quote, loving. That's not loving. That shows no discernment, and it's not loving. Tolerance is actually the opposite of love. Patience is what love is. Because patience is looking at somebody who's struggling with something, whatever the sin might be, knowing that God can still work with them and is working with them to perfect them, and that there is time for them to recognize their sin. 
and confess that sin and have it removed as far as the east is from the west. There's time. That's patience. So when we look at somebody, we're hoping that God will work. We're praying that God will work. We're asking God to work in their life and communicate with them so that they walk with God. That's patience. Tolerance are those who run around and say, you need to accept me the way I am. I'm not going to change, and God needs to accept me this way. That's tolerance. It's interesting how tolerance has become a buzzword in culture, and they call people not tolerant, obviously, that are narrow-minded, yet narrow-mindedness is something everybody is. If you believe everyone who's not tolerant is wrong, then you're narrow-minded in that way. What we have to understand is that there is a right and wrong. There's a way that everybody and everything has been made. And you can either live in the context you were made or you can ignore it. If you ignore it, there's going to be ramifications in your life. What the Apostle Paul wanted was that their love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment. And the only way to have that happen is be in God's Word and know what God says and love people like God loves them. It's really not about you. It's not about using other people for your benefit. It's about loving other people, looking for ways to bring them into the kingdom and demonstrate who God is. The 10th verse. So that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless in the day of Christ. Wanting the people that he's talking to in Philippi to approve those things that are right. To be blameless in the day of Christ, to not be ones who have manipulated this system, changed the definitions, gone out and sort of or maybe followed God. No, he wants them to know God. He wants them to listen to God because that's the only way they'll be okay. And the 11th verse says, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Filled with the fruit of righteousness. I always enjoy the word fruit because fruit has a very specific way that it's formed. The only way fruit is formed is if a plant absorbs the right stuff. If a plant's going to absorb the right nutrients, sunlight, combine it with the uh, chlorophyll and all the other stuff that has to go into that plant, the byproduct is always fruit. In my life, when I'm not producing fruit, it's because I'm absorbing the wrong stuff. Perhaps I'm absorbing too much of the culture. I'm absorbing too much news. I'm absorbing too many problems. Perhaps I'm absorbing things that uh, are half-truths. I'm listening to new definitions of family and gender and other things. Perhaps I'm, I'm beginning to be inundated with half-truths, lies, and deceptions. And remember, Satan is the father of lies and the father of deception. And when that happens, the fruit production in my life goes way down, could even disappear. You see, there's fruit of righteousness. When I do what's right, when I just get up every day and love God, love the people around me, do what is right in the world that God has planted me. 
There's going to be fruit. I will not be able to keep away from it. In fact, those who love God and absorb what's right, the fruit on their branches is going to be so heavy. So heavy that they won't even know what to do with it. It's amazing how God produces fruit in those who just listen. I can do that. I can listen to God. I'm not one who can produce that fruit on my own. But God can produce the fruit in a miraculous way as I just yield my life to Him. And you can do the same. Well, perhaps in the next nighttime episode, we'll continue in Philippians. This is Dave Wager. I'm in the studios at Silver Birch Ranch on the campus of the Nicolay Bible Institute. I do invite you to check those websites out and see if we can't serve you and your family in the future. Good night for now. Thank you.